and welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor podcast. I'm Andrew Dick, an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. Please remember the views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants only and do not constitute legal advice. Today we will be talking about valuation trends in the healthcare real estate industry. Hospitals, healthcare providers, and investors are always looking at different ways to value healthcare real estate assets. Typically, a real estate appraiser with deep healthcare real estate experience is needed to competently complete a healthcare real estate valuation assignment. VMG Health is one of the leading healthcare valuation firms in the country. Today, we'll be talking with Victor McConnell, a director of real estate services with VMG Health. Victor, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Andrew. So, Victor, uh, before we jump into to some of your valuation work, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and um, uh, your educational background. Yep. Uh, I grew up in a, a small town in Texas, about an hour east of Dallas, Greenville. Uh, I went to undergrad at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, was a English creative writing major, uh, the, the classic trajectory from small town Texas to, uh, to Dartmouth to healthcare valuation. <laughs> so earlier in your your career, you started working uh, night shift at a hotel in Telluride. Uh, what, what was that like? How did you end up there? And uh, tell us about that. Again, that's the classic uh, that's a classic pathway to get into a career in healthcare real estate valuation. <laughs> I uh, after college uh, was bouncing around. I got into climbing, a lot of rock climbing, ice climbing, and such, and was living in Telluride, working odd jobs, and. Eventually had a bad skiing accident and broke both legs uh, in 05 and needed a, a desk job. And that slowly led to me getting a, an internship with a commercial real estate appraisal firm that happened to be doing a lot of work for CVS drugstores. And over the years, I got kind of further into commercial real estate and did more and more work in the healthcare sector um, and joined VMG as a consultant initially in about 2012 and then uh, full-time as VMG was building out their real estate practice uh, in 2013. Victor, tell us a little bit about VMG Health. I mean, I'm familiar with uh, the company. Uh, It's one of the leading valuation firms in the healthcare space, but uh, talk a little bit about the scope of services offered by VMG. Yep. Uh, So we were founded in 1995 by uh, some ex-Ernst & Young partners doing healthcare business valuation and originally valuing everything from physician practices up to entire health systems. And over the years, VMG grew and added service lines. So uh, added what we call PSA, the valuation of physician compensation arrangements, other contractual agreements, added capital assets in real estate in the 2000s. And now we're one of, if not the largest, multidiscipline healthcare valuation firms. So a kind of a middle-of-the-road transaction that engages all of VMG service lines or our kind of core service lines is, you know, hospitals acquiring a physician group. Uh, physicians are going to become employees post-transaction. What's the fair market value of the business, any intangible assets? What's fair market compensation post-transaction? and what's fair market value on either a lease or a purchase basis for the real estate and the equipment. And then we ensure that all those pieces and the various assumptions fit together in the valuation. Well, Victor, I, I've worked with you over the years, and I, I know you uh, have, have a lot of experience in the real estate space. Uh, tell us about VMG's real estate practice. Who, who are you working for? When, it, when I work with you, we're typically working with a hospital or healthcare system, but, but I know that you're 
you're doing a lot more than working with healthcare providers. Yep, our our core clients tend to be hospital systems, but uh, over the years we've grown our our presence and have worked with a lot of REITs and real estate, healthcare real estate focused private equity firms, uh, lenders, kind of assisting them with their their underwriting, trying to get their arms around risk on a particular deal. Sometimes a, a typical appraisal for a loan or a, a kind of market rent study. And then we'll work on litigation uh, related assignments where there's you know a dispute that involves value. And then the compliance driven work for health systems or on the operational side, private equity buyers that are acquiring healthcare businesses, which is uh, anybody in healthcare right now is very aware of that trend. There's an increased need for quality of earnings, which has been a, a growing area of practice for us as a firm. And those are that that type of work is driven, you know, primarily by the activity in the PE market. So you're so when you on those type of projects, Victor, you're kind of testing the uh, income assumptions on on the business that will be in the space. Yeah, kind of pressure testing the EBITDA, uh, as it were going going through and there's varying levels of scope on a real estate focused we wouldn't really call that a quality of earnings you know typically that's more of a maybe a kind of q of e light or where we're benchmarking some key risk factors a a true business q of e is is a pretty in-depth time-consuming process where you're going you know line by line through a business's projected revenue and expenses Victor, you know, valuation uh, opinions really run the gamut in my world. Uh, some are really light in terms of uh, supporting information. Some have a lot of data. Uh, what I've found over the years is that healthcare real estate valuation data is, is closely held. Typically, you can't hire a local appraiser in a certain market who's a generalist to value a hospital uh, or an LTAC or a behavioral health care center just because they don't have access to that kind of data. is that, I mean, that, That's always been my assumption based on some of the work product I've gotten back from a generalist. Is that, is that true? Talk a little bit about how just the, the, the data that VMG has is really what makes it a powerful uh, partner or powerful resource for uh, folks looking for valuation uh, information. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously biased here, uh, but our... Our core compliance-driven valuation work across service lines allows us to build up a, a pretty robust internal benchmarking data set. Uh, we, we annually publish a, a free study called the IntelliMarker that's an, a benchmarking study focused on the ambulatory surgery center industry that uh, anybody can download. And that study is made possible by our core valuation work. And similarly, on the real estate side, all of the work that we do in our other service lines allows us to get information about transactions and about uh, real estate prices and rents that may not be available from subscription databases like you know CoStar and Revista or other uh, you know public record sources. Well, Victor, uh, let's let's talk about some uh, trends in the industry. Uh, recently, you wrote an article about micro hospitals uh, that was published by Becker's Hospital Review. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your experience uh, working with the micro hospitals, the valuation trends. What's going on in that kind of sub sector of, of healthcare real estate? Yeah, we've we've seen a lot of activity there. Um, part of this continued move away from the the large hospital campuses and 
you know the the fragmented delivery system that's that's a recurring theme if you if you listen in on any healthcare real estate conference panel or or all of your your competitive podcasts I'm sure Andrew um, the uh, so I think micro hospitals are a manifestation of that they're you know relatively new delivery type that there's not necessarily even a clear definition of what a micro hospital is. Um, there's a, a pretty wide range in terms of size and in terms of services being offered and the cost, the per unit cost, per bed or per foot cost can be quite high. So when we've done work on the behalf of, of investors who are looking at them, they've really wanted to get comfortable from a due diligence perspective because the, on the real estate side, the, the downside, the dark value on, on those can be pretty significant. So Victor, talk a little bit about how investors look at, at the micro hospitals. Are these considered a riskier investment uh, in terms of how they're priced? Uh, because it looks, I think recently there have been some uh, CMS regulations that kind of are focused on micro hospitals and length of stay. And Do you, I know I know Hall Render put out a news blast about that. Do you want to give our, our listeners a quick <laughs> overview of the, the length of stay regs? Well, I think just briefly, I think CMS has said that um, you actually have to have inpatients with a uh, you know, with an average length of stay of a couple of days, and if you don't, that could potentially jeopardize your your hospital status. But but Victor, how do the investors look at this? Well, yeah, and I think it's if you don't have an ADC and uh, if you don't have a census of two at the time of the survey, then yeah, you can lose that that hospital licensure. And the in my experience, the way that investors have looked at them is really relying on their operator partner. Um, given the potential riskiness of the asset, they may be do more due diligence around what the operator is is projecting than they than they would on uh, an asset that's been around longer, like a surgery center. So, what does that look like? It might mean that you're doing a deeper dive around you know, the payer mix and the capture rate and the, the various volumes that are being projected and the, the market position of the facility to see if, if what's being projected is, is accurate and realistic because the, the rental rate that they're going to be paying the real estate investor can be, again, quite high. And so uh, they want to know, they want to have comfort that they have a, a healthy rent coverage ratio and then in addition to that I mean a lot of them are done with credit rated entities and so in those cases uh, you know the investor is going to look at it maybe a little bit less facility specific if they're getting a you know a, a good credit rating behind the lease. And when you talk about partnerships or the credit rating of the the tenant it's been my experience a lot of these micro hospitals are joint ventures between a maybe a, a national for-profit micro-hospital company and a, a local healthcare system that agrees to brand it with their name. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I, I've, I've seen that, that structure probably, I guess, most commonly, although you know, I think there's, there is some variation there, but without, without actually being involved and really in the weeds, it's hard to know sometimes if you haven't, you know, it's on some of them that we didn't work on directly, you know, I, I only know what's available in a in a, a transaction overview that's published by, 
you know, some, some real estate publication. But I'd say my general experience is lined up with yours. So, Victor, uh, moving away from the micro-hospitals, you and I wrote an article uh, a number of years ago for uh, the American Health Lawyers Association. It was called On-Campus Medical Office Buildings. This is a premium warranted. And um, we thought the article was timely because, one, from a valuation perspective over the years, investors in the healthcare real estate space tend to distinguish between on-campus versus off-campus. We also thought it was timely because from a regulatory perspective, if Stark or anti-kickback applies, there's some some guidance that suggests that uh, proximity maybe shouldn't be taken into account in terms of setting the rental rate if, if two providers are enter, entering into a lease, for example. Talk a little bit about the evolution of on-campus versus off-campus from a valuation perspective. It seems like there used to be a widespread in terms of valuation for, for an on-campus asset versus off-campus, but it, but that may not be true today. Yeah, so part, a big part of the impetus was, as you said, a reaction to, I think, I think you and I had both seen other attorneys and appraisers who had said, uh, you can't charge a different rate because something is on campus uh, because of the language around proximity to a referral source. And uh, when I looked into the issue, ultimately I disagreed with with that contention for reasons that are kind of laid out in detail in the article, you can observe in the data some of the differences in in how the market prices on-campus versus off-campus assets historically. And then you can also walk through some of the the physical differences uh, with an on versus off-campus building. You have uh, amenities often with on-campus buildings uh, that if you, if you build up a return on cost model, would be accounted for things like a sky bridge or parking deck or access to hospital cafeterias or common space that, that an off-campus building might not have. Then you have the uh, sometimes elevated construction costs or higher land value, again, that will show up if you do a return on cost analysis. And then a, a supply constraint in a lot of cases around uh, hospital campuses. So that now that being said, I have seen cases where the rents on a hospital campus were actually lower than the average off-campus in rates in a given market, and that was because it was a hospital that had an oversupply of medical office space, and it was a had poor financial performance. So physicians didn't want to be located on that hospital campus, um, and. The larger trend over time has been that the the spread in cap rates or the pricing difference between on and off campus has shrunk over the course of the last you know decade or so, and more health systems have strategic off campus assets that are larger, have a wider array of services that have some specialty build out or space that's located in high visibility retail settings, and. So as the real estate investment community sees those trends, they say, well, maybe actually the risk associated with this off-campus asset is lower than the one that's on an aging hospital campus that we're not sure what's going to happen to. So that's a, a, long, a long rambling answer that can be followed up by a review of our, our AHLA article. No, that's a good summary, though, Victor. I think I think in short, from the you know the healthcare lawyers that are listening, the bottom line is that in some cases 
there may be a premium that is warranted for on-campus that can be justified for legitimate reasons outside of proximity to referral sources. Yeah, yeah, it's not a unilateral adjustment that, um, okay, every on-campus building should be X percentage above an off-campus building. No, that's not correct, but it, it, it is a case-by-case basis, and sometimes a premium is warranted. Uh, so ultimately, the the answer that that I give is is the classic answer of the appraiser or the analyst is it depends. Well, that's a that's an interesting uh, discussion, and, and if our listeners want to learn more, uh, feel free to go to the show notes, and we'll post uh, a link to the article. Uh, Victor, moving on to other unique characteristics of healthcare real estate. We often see ground leases involved. Uh, for example, when, when a hospital wants to develop a medical office building on their campus, hospital may say, I want to retain fee title. I'll ground lease the land to a developer or physician group who develops the, the MOB. What are you seeing in terms of trends? And, and I mean, are hospitals still, uh, do they still like the ground lease model? I think they do. And uh, if so, what are you seeing in terms of valuation trends? Well, uh, so ground leases are interesting in that in a lot of cases, the dollars associated with the ground lease can be relatively small compared to the, the total dollars in a, in a deal when you have you know, fifty, hundred million dollar construction projects, and you know the annual ground lease payment may be fairly small. But there, there's still a a significant consideration in that it is a fifty to seventy five year term, and in a lot of cases, ground leases will cover a long list of property rights that can affect what uh, a health system can do with with a uh, a real estate asset down the road sometimes they have put options or purchase options or use restrictions those things sometimes have a value impact and sometimes they don't i think that health systems who choose to own their own real estate will often still pursue a ground lease structure. I know we've we've seen credit tenant lease agreements and and some health systems buying back real estate uh, in kind of a reverse monetization. But generally speaking, I, I think that the ground lease is is still just as prevalent as it was, you know, five or six years ago, uh, when you're looking at new on campus development. And uh, the way that I, I think about ground leases in the context of a new development is always what are the various parties, if, if you have physician investors, if you have a developer, if you have a hospital, and they're all contributing various things to a development. They may be contributing land or capital or site improvements for the host campus uh, or a portion of a parking garage. You have to look at the development holistically as a as a valuation professional and determine that all of the various parties are getting a fair market value return on the assets that they're contributing to the development. Yeah, that's that's a good summary. I mean, Victor, over the years, you know, when I've worked with appraisers that, that don't do a lot of work in this space in terms of valuing ground leases, you know, I've, I've had, it seems like a wide range of opinions. Some appraisers have said, well, under a ground lease, uh, you have most of the tenants, so the owner of the improvements, uh, it's unlikely that the ground lessee will ever default. 
because if they do, they could lose the improvements in some scenarios. Or they know that the, the ground owner knows that uh, the ground lessee's lender might step in to ensure that there's no loss of improvements. And, and as a result, some of the appraisers have said, well, we tend to believe that, that it's such a low-risk investment proposition that it should be valued differently than a traditional lease. How would you respond to that? Well, a ground lease does have a different risk profile than a building lease. If you're, uh, and if you look at returns, uh, ground lease re- rates of return are going to be below uh, improvements. And part of that is risk, and part of that is that improvements depreciate and, and land does not. So if you acquire a ground lease, it's, it is an asset that you know, continues into perpetuity. Um, so I think that I would, I would say that there is a lower risk profile, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be zero or it shouldn't be uh, uh, a number close to zero. It should be you know, commensurate with what we see ground leases trading for in the market. And there is, there is market data available in the ground lease sector. And there actually, a year or two ago, there was a, a REIT that was launched that focuses in ground leases as well. I think you're right. I was going to ask you about that. I think the uh, ticker symbol is SAFE, S-A-F-E, and uh, they focus on assets that, uh, ground lease assets. I'm not sure how many healthcare properties they have. I but personally haven't seen, I, I don't know if they own any or not. I haven't uh, gone through, you know, their 10Ks or, uh, and I haven't, anecdotally run across any, you know, on-campus assets that or anything like that they've acquired. Okay. Victor, as we wrap up here, talk about the future of healthcare real estate and, and valuation trends. What do you predict in the future? It seems like valuations for, for example, MOB assets right now seem to be at an all-time high uh, for, for uh, you know, products that have uh, credit tenants. But what do you predict over the next few years? Well, I'm a I'm a skeptic personally and professionally, and and humans in general are not great at predicting the future. Uh, I, I always think about in in early 2008. I think the global survey of economists forecasted uh, global GDP to grow two percent. You know, we had the worst recession in 75 years. So anything I predict, I I don't. Uh, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in it, uh, but I, I think that all of that said, with that significant caveat, um, I think seeing healthcare real estate continue to become a, a more recognized asset class, having a larger buyer pool, um, foreign capital that's investing in, in inpatient assets and large portfolios, uh, institutional funds, uh, sovereign wealth funds, all of these things have that didn't exist in healthcare real estate 10, 15, 20 years ago are growing. They're going to continue to grow. I think the cap rates as, as compared to other core property sectors, to apartment, retail, office, industrial, those will continue to compress. I think some some select surveys had showed you know, core medical office properties trading at uh, very close to to office, it depends on what segment of the market you look at. Simultaneously, healthcare will just healthcare real estate, and will continue to get more complex, more fragmented, more uh, different types of properties. If you think back 50 years, we had 
a nursing home, a hospital, and a doctor's office. Now we have LTACs, ASCs, ERFs, SNFs, ALFs, MOBs, uh, on-campus, off-campus. Um, behavioral you know, health. Behavioral health, cancer centers, proton centers. And even if you, you bring up behavioral health, which is one we get a lot of inquiries around, that alone is a is a very broad term running the gamut from quasi residential houses uh, up to full scale steel frame psychiatric hospitals. Um, it's all behavioral health, but very very different real estate assets, different reimbursement models, different business models, and I think that 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 again speaks to the complexity of the the healthcare real estate market. Um, and you know one of the things that makes it unique relative to some of the other property markets is the how the business and the real estate are inextricably intertwined and so if if you're an investor you have to understand uh, the business on some level to invest in it and and part of that business is the regulatory risk which is a lot of what drives you know your work and my work and certainly you know I'm sure you saw the the DOJ's, you know, two billion in recoveries for last year for the ninth straight year. So I think that's that's the other trend that, looking forward, is is not going to change the continued regulatory scrutiny. So Victor, um, you recently published an article called "Financial Feasibility and Speculative Medical Office Building Construction," where you you, you talk about um, some trends in the industry where we're starting to see more spec space. Uh, being built and uh, tell us a little bit about your article and some of the work you're doing around the speculative MOB space. Yes, financial feasibility and speculative medical office building construction. Not not exactly a, a war and peace of titles. Doesn't really roll off the tongue there. But uh, yeah, I think part of the, the some of the other trends we've talked about the you know the growth of the sector growth of the buyer and investor pool um, has led uh, some developers to say, well, maybe we can build space at a given location on a spec or speculative basis where we don't necessarily have tenants pre-committed and we'll lease it up just like we would with office or retail. And that's something I don't think happened very often uh, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago because the perceived risk was higher TIs, the build-out cost for medical office space was higher, and so people just stayed away unless you had a tenant who came to you and said they wanted a certain space. Uh, but now uh, we've we've been involved in some projects that were you know mixed-use developments or other off-campus developments where someone thought that medical space would be viable, and so then you you have to figure out if it is viable or not by doing. Uh, some market analysis and some feasibility analysis, and that was that was kind of the purpose of, of my article. So, uh, Victor, I mean, we're some folks say we're nearing the end of a real estate cycle. Um, how much spec space is really being built? I I don't see a lot of it, but are, are these developers that have a lot of experience, or are they folks that maybe don't have a lot of experience that are taking a flyer on this? Um, I think that that the medical the medical sector is a little bit different. While while obviously healthcare real estate is affected by 
the larger kind of real estate macroeconomic forces um, and is certainly affected by the real estate cycle. There are also these other factors that are unique to healthcare real estate that the hospitals and the and patient care uh, that continues to grow unabated uh, accompanying population growth and an aging demographic and so the need for space to, to treat people even if you have a, a real estate market that's declining that still exists and there's only so much uh, shell space that could be converted to medical from something else so um, so I think I mean I think that I'm the range of people building it some are more sophisticated than others but I, I think that they are responding to a real uh, need in the market um, a need for for off-campus space and in areas where there's there's a demand for you know certain outpatient care. Victor, uh, thank you for being on our podcast today. Uh, how can folks connect with you, reach out to you? Our website is vmghealth.com. Uh, my email is victor.mcconnell at vmghealth.com. Uh, but I'm I'm not a hard man to find. So if anyone if anyone wishes to get in touch, uh, they can they can find me via VMG's website. Thanks to our audience for listening to the podcast on your Apple or Android device. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave feedback for us. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor. To be added to that list, uh, please email me at adick at hallrender.com. 